0: You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. You know, just like I know, that there are very few things in life that are 100% certain. But if there were a way to almost certainly ensure your future success, your long-term success, would you want to know about it? Our guest today has that way, and he not only has that way that he's going to share with us today, but he also lives it out. I think you're going to enjoy today's episode and be encouraged and challenged by it. Our guest today is an entrepreneur, marketer, and author. He's the owner of Hassaman Marketing, which is a full-service marketing agency, as well as Hassaman Properties. He's been named an influencer in the promo world and has just authored his fourth book called The Give First Economy. Here is Kirby Hassaman. Kirby, welcome to the podcast. Oh man, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. So I want to go ahead and say at the very beginning, we have Ben Baker, who was on a few episodes ago to thank for this interview. He connected us and I'm excited to have you on. Now we always start off the interviews with a few questions to help us to get to know you better as a leader and to give us some actionable insight for our own lives. So you ready for Mm -hmm. these questions? I'm ready. Let's do it. What is some lesson saying or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? Everything is my fault. (laughs) Um, so I think that so
1: many times whenever anything goes wrong in your organization or whatever you're trying to create, it's really easy to blame other people. And what I've found is by assuming sort of ownership for every single thing, good or bad, it allows me learning. It's not, it's not a martyr thing. It is almost always I feel like I've learned that, oh, I could have communicated that better. I could have explained what I wanted better. I could have done this better. And I think by looking in the mirror and saying, anything that goes sideways, I'm going to get credit for all the good stuff. So if anything goes sideways, I need to take ownership of that. And um, that's been really helpful because I think once you understand that, like I said, you're not a martyr. It, it shows you what you can learn in every single experience
0: use three descriptors to finish this sentence a leader is
1: i'd say visionary a communicator or a listener and kind you know i the i think one of my favorite sayings is they don't confuse my kindness for weakness but i have found that you know when i started out in leadership or in business i was sort of a if it's to be it's up to me kind of person and i think one of my challenges with this transition was I assumed everybody was going to run as hard as me. Everyone was going to care as much as me. And I think uh, as I made the transition to leader, kind of creating a vision for the company, communicating that, and then having empathy or kindness for my team has been the biggest transition I've made sort of in leadership.
0: What is a question the leader should be asking either themselves or others?
1: How can I help? <laughs> yeah, you know, again, I, I think that so many times it's leaders feel like they need to project. Here's what you need to do. I think if you've hired properly, if you've really got the right people on your team and you've been thoughtful about that rather than just taking anybody who comes in the door, if you get the right people on your team, then your job is to, like I said, create the vision then go, okay, you are smart. You are talented. What can I do to help you? What can I remove from your path? How can I help?
0: What is a book that you would recommend to leaders?
1: All right. I'm going to give you two. I hope that's okay. Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. Um, that's probably my favorite Simon Sinek book. I think that's amazing. And Extreme Ownership. And, you know, with your first question, you said, what, what is the lesson? And it's everything is my fault. That is very much, I've heard it from people like Dave Ramsey. I've heard it from other leaders. But Jocko Willink in Extreme Ownership spends a lot of time talking about how, um, as a leader, that you have influence over everything.
0: If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be?
1: It's cliche because it's true. Uh, Listen, but listen with the idea that you, instead of, I think they talk about the golden rule, right? Is that you treat everybody the way you want to be treated. And I actually think that's a mistake in leadership. I think it's treat everybody the way they want to be treated. And I think that's one of the challenges we have when we lead across generations, you know, because baby boomers don't want to be managed the same way as Gen Xers. And Gen Xers don't want to be managed the same way as millennials. And I, I don't get too caught up in the, you know, the generational thing, but I think the disconnect whenever you're doing that is you're trying to manage a group of people all the same way. And I think by spending time really listening and getting an understanding with what their goals are and what they want to accomplish, and if you can help them do that, then most of the time, the right people will run through a wall for you.
0: Well, Kirby, we're about to get into a discussion about your book today and the idea of giving first in the give first economy. But before we get started, we had Ben Baker on episode 51. I'd love for you to share a little bit about how you know him and just show him some love in general.
1: Oh, absolutely. So what I love about Ben is he's such a progressive marketing mind, right? Like one of the things that, um, he and I get on calls every now and again, just to brainstorm different ideas. I remember what's funny about him is he was, um, and I think he would say this, he was slow to jump on Facebook and he's like, there's no value in that. I'm much more LinkedIn. And he had, like good leaders, like good marketers, he has evolved and he's helped me evolve. And so he's taken a leadership role in podcasting and creating content. And I think when I think of him, he's the kind of guy that truly is an advocate for his clients the way marketers should be.
0: Well, now back to your stuff. Ben is a giver and he was excited to connect us and It seems like that's maybe a reason that you connect with him so well as well. You have written this book, The Give First Economy, and I'd like for you to break down for the listeners what exactly you mean by the give first economy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I always think sometimes it's best uh, to explain what the give first economy is by what it's not. And what it's not is, is it's not the good old boys network. It's not just doing business with somebody because you play golf with them. The give First Economy is about the economy where the entrepreneurs, salespeople, business owners, organizations that provide value up front are the ones that will win long term. And I think it's really a mindset, right? It's not about getting the one sale in front of you. It's about creating lifelong relationships with customers that become friends. And when you do that, you build integrity, you build trust and It creates that long-term long profitable um, relationship because the people you're doing business with trust you and they should because you've provided them value personally. And when you do that, you create long-term success in business. And it's funny that so many of the things I talk about in the Give First Economy, they're old school principles that are almost more powerful today because so few
0: people do them. And what are some of those principles? You mentioned the idea of providing value Mm up front as a key thing. Has that always been part of successful business people's mentality?
1: You know, I think in in some ways it has, right? So one of the things I talk about in the book is that we have shifted a little bit. We've shifted from uh, what is a push marketing world, which has been the beginning of time, right? Like if since the beginning of time, the organization that could push out their message, the fastest, the most would win. But because of the onset of the internet, it's kind of given, given birth to some old school pieces in the sense that it's made the world small again. Like what I mean by that is like, you know, back when your grandma and my grandma would go to the butcher store, you know, the butcher back in a small town, the butcher would take care of her because grandma knew a bunch of people in town and and was a good customer herself, right? And so he would know what kind of meat that she liked and what she liked to cook on Friday and what my grandpa wanted to have. He took those great pains because it mattered to her and it mattered to all her friends and she had influence. Well, you know, the same is true now, right? Customers have a bigger voice than ever before. And the cool thing about the idea of giving first as an organization is that, I always say it's like doing business the right way. You know, when you do business the right way, when you treat people well, when you go out of your way to do the little things, then the customers actually become your advocates. And I think that's the shift that has taken it, you know, has made the the world small again, if that makes sense. And so sort of simplifying it, that's sort of the gift first economy. When you talk about, you know, what are some of the things and we can dig into any of them But like the first simple principle I talk about all the time is giving out joy. About 89% studies will tell you of what we see in the world today is negative. And I always joke that if you've lived through an election cycle like we're about to live through, Mm -hmm. 89% is going to seem low, right? Like So almost 90% of every interaction you have is negative. And so one of the ways that you can stand out in this economy that we live in today is by do, being different by pushing out joy by providing people a reason to smile by giving inspiration when you do that intentionally through social media through your interactions with people in the three-dimensional world you stand out and i think so many times regardless of business we spend a lot of time trying to be better than our competition and as mike macallowitz said he's a great author entrepreneur he says in the mind of our customers Better is not better. Different is better. And in a very simple way, by being intentional and pushing out joy on a regular basis, you are different than the rest of the competition, or at least 90% of it.
0: What are some ways to... Give joy to other people, like you said, we're about to to live through a time at least in American <laughs> politics where there's gonna be a lot of reasons it feels like not to give out joy to other people, especially as we maybe become divided in who we're going for and things like that and And the truth is politics shouldn't take up our lives, but a lot of people allow it to sure that said, there are a lot of a lot of other things in life a lot of a lot of ways we can interact with people and in positive ways. What are some ways that we can give joy? Because this isn't just something for business, right? This is something. Oh. This is a way to live your life. One
1: hundred percent. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite exercises, and I always joke about this. If you want to see proof of this in action, when you drop your kids off at school or go to some place, you know, when you go to a public place where there are a bunch of cars pulling in and out, if you want to see it in action, just start looking at the faces of the people driving <laughs> in and out, dropping their kids off at school. Man, those are some unhappy looking people. There are so many simple ways that you can give out joys. One of them is, is as simple as anything is just smiling at people, giving like really, truly acknowledging their existence in a, in a, a simple way. Send a thank you note. Like there's, it's hard to be more old school than that. Um, the sending notes through social media, text people. One of, one of my rules of life, Josh, is that whenever I catch myself saying something nice about someone behind their back, I tell them, That's a pretty simple darn thing to do. You want to go a little bit more on the other side is, you know, send thank yous. Uh, One of the things we do here at at our company is I'll do individual thank you videos. So we have the technology, right? A webcam, I've got a camera here, record a very personal with their name video thanking someone for their recent purchase, their, their service to you, their support of your organization and send them a private or a unlisted YouTube link. You would be amazed by the thank yous I get from those thank yous um, just by reaching out to them on social media and sending them something that matters to them. But all of those ways, making someone smile is a very simple and easy way to give out joy. And the funny thing about it is studies will tell you that the human brain is actually wired to perform better when a boost of positivity is given to you. So uh, there's a great book called the happiness equation where Neil Pasrika talks about this, where, and my favorite study, this is, this is amazing to me. They did a study with doctors where before they were going in to meet with patients, they gave them a lollipop. Okay. Now they wouldn't let them eat the lollipop because they were afraid that the sugar would throw off the study. So literally they just gave them a lollipop and put it in their pocket. And what was amazing to me is the diagnosis of the patients of the doctors right after they saw the lollipop were more accurate.
0: Hmm.
1: Now that's mind blowing to me. If you think about it, because these are some of the most educated people on the planet. And the idea that they gave, got a small boost of positivity in the form of a sugar, you know, sugar on a stick that they weren't even allowed to eat, made them better at their jobs. Like, those are the reasons when you look at it and you go, wow, this makes me stand out in a totally different way because I've given somebody a boost of positivity. And when studies explain that you're more likely to succeed when you are happy, you're helping that other person succeed. And so it's a very simple thing to do. And there's a million ways to do it, right? Um, and those are ways that you can provide value in, in sort of the give first economy.
0: Now, we've talked about giving out joy. Other chapters right. include giving thanks and praise, give expecting nothing in return, which mm. I think can be a difficult one, but it's very important, giving more than they pay for, et cetera, et cetera. And you've, you've talked about some tactics to spread joy. And some of those tactics can also, for instance, be ways to give thanks and praise, et cetera, mm. et cetera. But what are some other tactics for those who really want to take part in this give first economy?
1: Yeah, I, again, I think the old school version of it is the, the old thank you note and just getting in that way. The other one, and I spend a lot of time on this in the book, and I talk a lot about it in my, in my world, is I think creating content is really important in this area. If you want, If you want people to view you as an expert, spending time creating content, much like you're doing here, you being the voice that people go to when they're looking for leadership, then all of a sudden... That changes your reputation. It changes the conversation in the world we live in today, right? I, I heard a study that said most people just are the 90%, let's call it the 90% are just they're lurkers, right? On social media, they, they scroll, they might like occasionally. Um, then there's the 9% who will actually maybe engage and comment and whatever. But even in the world today, as easy it is to create content, And as much as we think there's noise everywhere, really the people who are creating content still only about 1%. And so from my perspective, creating content that is valuable for your customer, and I think that's really, or prospect, that's what's key. I think so many times we spend time and we're creating content that is valuable to the company, right? So in other words, it's an ad. That's the mistake I see so many people doing is they, they create something that they feel like it's content marketing, but it provides no value. It's a commercial. When you answer the questions of your customers, when you entertain, when you inform in a way that they're looking right, like, so if you are a plumbing company and you are doing videos on how to unclog your sink so that essentially you're giving customers the ability to do some of the work that, you know, instead of hiring you, when you do that in a selfless way, you show up differently. And that's a tactic I think. And that can be in the form of a million different things, right? Like that could be a YouTube video. It could be a blog. It can be a podcast. It could be an Instagram photo, right? But I think showing up in that way where you are choosing yourself as Seth Godin likes to say, when you do that on a consistent basis, and I think that's one of the keys, then I think that's a tactic that really makes you show up differently and and give first. But again, it goes back to intent, right? You're only giving first if you're providing value to the end user, the the person you're trying to reach. You're not giving first if you're creating a video that is a commercial for your product. Does that make sense you, like the difference?
0: It it does for sure. And the truth is, if you're creating quality stuff, like you're saying, don't create it with the idea of it being a commercial, but if it's quality stuff, people are gonna be going to that and pointing that video or that post out to other people and so it becomes it becomes in some ways a promotion of what you do oh and but a
1: better one right
0: like but because it almost it feels like oh well that person
1: is the expert because he's or she is talking about it in a way that we're not it's it's not the uh the sham wow guy right it is it is someone who is speaking with a voice of authority saying this is how you do it and do it right OK, I mean, it, you know, and the funny thing is, I always talk about it when you build a personal brand like this, when you give first in this way, it, it, if you have done so selfishly, you, you selflessly, you talked about giving with expecting nothing in return. Right. If you do this consistently, the irony is it shortens the sales cycle because the people who are coming to you are already going to buy right? Now it becomes, well, what should I buy? You're the expert. So they're going to tell you, you tell me what I should do. So by giving selflessly, it puts you in a position where the the sale or the the transaction becomes sort of secondary. It's really about making, then it's like, okay, I I need to take this responsibility very seriously because they truly are looking at me as the expert. And that's how you create that long-term relationship.
0: Now, you have a second part Mm -hmm. of your book that is interesting to me, and I'd like for you to talk about it a little bit, including the contents of it, but really just initially the concept. The, The second part is getting more stuff done. How does that connect to the Give First Economy?
1: Yeah, totally. It's it. it, So I, the give first economy started out as a presentation that I was blessed to sort of give all over the country. And so I think people are attracted to the idea of the give first economy because it's what we want from a consumer perspective, right? We want to do business with, with customers and salespeople and entrepreneurs that we feel like are doing things the right way. Right. And so the pushback I would get, they'd, they'd come up to me and they'd say, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. But man, it sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I was always struck by that. And really for a year or so, I was just like, well, yeah, it, it is. <laughs> um, you know, I think we're, we're so conditioned to look for an easy button. And, you know, I would say, look, there's not an easy button doing any of these things. They're hard work, but they're worth it. Right. But what occurred to me later was, Oh, Well, people just, they're telling me they don't have time to do it. So I created the second part of this to say, yeah, giving first, providing value, doing content, all of these things will take time and they will be hard work. But here, the second half of the book is here's how you make the time in your life to do the things that really matter to you. Because one of the things that I find, and I truly find this, is that busy is the most overused word in our culture today. And I tell people, if you don't believe me, try and go two weeks without saying it. It's hard because it's, it's like the vernacular. It's the answer to every question, right? How are the kids? Busy. How's business? Busy. How's life? Busy. Busy is not the goal. And we've lost sight of that. And so I think one of the reasons that we struggle to do the things, chase the things that we so desperately want from our life is that we say that we're too busy. But in reality, our calendars it, our calendars full of stuff we don't really care about. We have said yes to things that we, it's not like we're against them, but we're not excited about them. And our calendars are full of stuff like that. I'm always like, your calendars are full of things that you're like, meh, it's fine, but you're not on fire about it. And in the book, I tell the story of Derek Sivers and he started CD Baby. And the, what he found was the busier he got, You know, the more successful he got, the more people wanted him on their team, right? Like when you're doing well, all of a sudden everybody wants you on their committee because they see that you're a doer. They see that you accomplish things and it's hard to say no. And so he created the rule whenever anybody asked him to be a part of anything was if it's not hell yes, it's no. It's so, so in other words, if the answer is yes, it's no, because we say yes to so many things that we're like, I mean, it's, it's okay, but we don't, we can't think of a compelling reason to say no to it. So we say yes to it. And all of a sudden it's a weekly meeting on our calendar that quite frankly, we don't really give a damn about, and we wish we didn't have it on our calendar. And I, I think the second half of this book is all about ideas, not even ideas, scientific principles. that I've read about, I've learned about, and I've tried that have helped me get more accomplished in my life. And um, it it really is about working on the things that truly matter and spending less time, not no time, because it's, you know, the, the real life is real. <laughs> there are going to be things that you have to do, that your boss makes you do, that your wife or her husband makes you do, whatever. But we spend too much time on that. And I think it's about doing the things that really allow you to chase the the life of your
0: dreams. And so go ahead, if you would, give people a few ideas of what you would consider the most important things for getting more done.
1: So what I did, and I kind of structured it this way, is I I kind of said, look, these are some things you need to start doing immediately, and these are some things you need to stop doing immediately. And if you can, they will make you more productive. And several of them are counterintuitive, so I'll jump into a couple counterintuitively ones. And I think the important things about the things that you want to start doing are – You need to understand that if you want to get more done, you want to be more fulfilled, you want to be more happy, your brain needs to function at a high level, right? I mean, I hope. Um, And so, you know, number one is I think most of us need to get more sleep. And when I tell people, look, if you want to get more done, get more sleep, people kind of look at you with a raised eyebrow because I'm now telling you to do something else or do something more. But I think we've got it backwards a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, it's not about how many hours you work. Like we talk about hustle and grind and I'm all in on that. I'm a believer in hard work. Nobody has succeeded without it. But I think staying up late to one in the morning to binge watch Netflix is what happens a lot. And then you get up and you're ill rested and your brain's not functioning at a high level and you're not able to deal with stress properly. You're not thinking creatively. And everybody I know, those are things they need, right? So get more rest. Number two, that also counterintuitive is get more exercise. And again, people are like, wait a second, so I need to get more done, but you're putting all this stuff on my calendar. But again, it comes back to brain function. It's not about that you need to run a marathon. It's about increasing the blood flow to your brain every day for about 20 minutes. It makes you smarter. And, you know, the the analogy is from the, a great book called Brain Rules by John Medina, and he kind of explained it so that a dumb guy like me could understand. <laughs> Essentially, he's like, look... You have blood vessels that deliver blood to your brain, right? Those blood vessels are the highways. When you exercise, the highways get paved, okay? But the best part is when you exercise, new roads are created. So it actually increases the blood flow to your brain on the roads that already exist, but they also increases the number of roads in your brain. So literally, Quite literally, exercise makes you smarter. That's why so many times after a walk or a run or just getting out and, and raising your your blood flow, your subconscious mind all of a sudden finds the solution to that problem you've been dealing with, right? You come up with an idea for a, a blog or whatever. It's because you've exercised. And then the third one that's also counterintuitive, and this is one I struggle with, to be honest with you, Josh, is meditation. I grew up that was not something that I paid a lot of attention to. I kind of thought it was a little hippy dippy, but the more I read, the more I studied all of these people who I admired who were successful all talked about their meditation practice. And I'm like, okay, I started looking in the mirror going, wait a second, maybe maybe I'm the dumb one here. And so though I struggle with it, I have incorporated a daily meditation practice. Each of those things takes a little bit of time, quite frankly, not a lot, but each of them allow me to operate in a way that my brain is operating at a higher level. And again, it's science. It's not my opinion, right? And the science of meditation is starting to catch up with 2000 years of practice. And every single one of the things I just mentioned help you deal with stress better. You think more creatively, your brain functions at a higher level. And I think those three, and there's more in the book, but those three are ones that you go, okay, I can see where those would have an impact on helping my brain function. And so those are my starts, if that makes sense.
0: Now, Kirby, I feel like we've just started our conversation, but the truth is we're almost thirty minutes in. And I'm <laughs> sorry, I think there's a lot more. No, 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 it's it's <laughs> it's perfect. But I'm wondering, are there any things that we haven't touched on yet that you think are really uh, integral to the idea of the give first economy that we haven't been able to touch on yet?
1: We've talked about content, but a really simple concept, and I talk about it in when I'm giving talks about it, but I talk about it in the book a little bit. And it goes back to that idea of sort of fighting the, the negativity of the world. The world has a kindness deficiency, an appreciation gap, if you will. Um, and I think that if you spend some time, number one, just each day taking a moment to be kind, you will stand out. And then the only other piece that I would say that I spend a lot of time talking about, whether it's with clients, whether it's with my team, or whether it's with my family, is creating a habit of gratitude. Um, I talked about the idea that our brains function better when you're um, happy, right? Well, you can't have a negative thought and a grateful thought at the same time. The brain won't hold two thoughts at the same time. And I think that if you want to affect how you, are perceived in the give first economy, but also if you just want to quite frankly lead a more fulfilling and happier life, be more grateful, start a habit every day. And for 30 days, that would be my challenge to anybody is write one. Thank you note every day for 30 days. And what I tell people that will happen is that, you know, the first three or three to five days, right? Depending on your situation, those are pretty easy right? Those are the low hanging fruit. You'll be able to write those thank you notes really easy. It'll be your spouse. It'll be your parent. It'll be your friend. After that, you're going to need to start looking. And what I find is when you start looking for things to be grateful about in your life and really putting it on paper, when you start looking for it, you start finding it, right? I always call it the red Toyota effect. You know, you, you buy that red Toyota that you'd never seen in your neighborhood. And now all of a sudden you start seeing it everywhere. well, it's because you've told the subconscious brain that it's important, And so it starts pointing it out to you everywhere. And I think when you start looking for things to be grateful for, it's amazing how easy it's going to be for you to push out joy.
0: Now, Kirby, it's easy to talk about the give first economy, but the good news for our listeners today is that you are practicing it with your book. (laughs) Could you talk a little bit about your book, where to find it, and even the, the two different options they have as far as getting access to it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So excuse me, as you might expect, I mean, it's for sale on Amazon. And if you just go to Amazon and search the give first economy, or you search my name, you'll find it there. Um, actually an auto audible book version is coming, uh, still working on cleaning that up and editing that. So if that's the way you like to digest it, that'll be coming soon. Um, there is a Kindle version, so you can per- purchase that if you're a Kindle person, it's 99 cents. So I've made it pretty easy, but then for your listeners and, and for the folks that listen to your podcast, I've actually created a place on my website. If you go to hot, Marketing.com slash give first book. You can go there, register, and we'll email it to you for free for the digital version.
0: I appreciate that, Kirby. And that will be linked in the show notes. Hasaman is H A S S E M A N. So if you would like to download that book for free, hosmanmarketing.com slash give first book. Kirby, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. It has been a pleasure.
1: Right back at you, man. Thanks so much.
0: Once again, if you would like a copy of Kirby's book, The Give First Economy, go to HossimanMarketing.com slash give first book. It's a great resource for how to think about life, how to set up your business and how to operate your team so that you are able to help others and attract them to what you do and also take care of yourself in the process. Now, The three takeaways that I have from today's interview are, first of all, when you do business the right way, your customers become your advocates, and that's something that so many people would love, but sometimes they're trying to attract people and trying to convince people to be their advocates the wrong way. How do you do it? By giving first, by providing them joy, by providing them more value than they expect, more value than they pay for, and any other number of things that Kirby talks about in his book. The second thing is Creating valuable content is important. You need to become the expert by being the voice in whatever corner of the market you have. And that can be very broadly or very narrowly defined depending on how large of an operation you are and the reach of your influence. But make sure that you become the expert by being the voice in your corner of the market answer the questions and the needs of your customers in an engaging way you're not focused on creating commercials for your business but focused on giving first and helping other people and in doing so they're going to be attracted to you because you are the one who is helping them and finally for takeaway number three i liked kirby's emphasis on our job to fight negativity in the world the world as kirby said has a kindness deficiency and when you buck that trend, you stand out. Towards the beginning of the interview, he said, the human brain is wired to perform better when a boost of positivity is given to a person. So be that boost of positivity and make the world a better place. One last time, if you would like a copy of Kirby's book, The Give First Economy, go to hasamanmarketing.com slash give first book. I hope you will take advantage of this offer because I think it's going to be something that is a really valuable read for you. I look forward to sharing again with you next week. And until then, keep living and leading well. or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens.